in Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. So I've been away for a long time and it's really a a pleasure and a blessing to see all of you again. I uh, am working uh, on like on a social media platform. And so I'm in like that headspace of social media all day, every day. It's uh, a trial. (laughs) And you can imagine that when you're in that particular headspace, as I'm sure a lot of us are, it's almost impossible to avoid like the news or whatever, just the world, right? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And when you're in that headspace, it's really important, I think, to find encouragement in the scriptures for what the future holds and for what the Lord has planned for his people. And I think that's what this psalm is about. This psalm, it says, the Lord said unto my Lord, okay, the Lord, the Father says unto my Lord, the Son, sit thou at my right hand. We know that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Well, we know that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven now, and that means that the until I make thine enemies a footstool is right now. The enemies of the Lord are being made into footstools. There's a great, you guys know what memes are? There's a great meme online of it's like Jesus in space, and he's looking at earth, and he's like, that looks like a whole lot of footstools. It's just a funny joke. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. This sounds like Jesus, the the rod of thy strength, the rod, like the staff that the shepherd would hold out of Zion. That's like Jerusalem. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Rule. Rule is a fascinating word in the Bible because it sort of conveys something that we don't really have a a notion for today. Um, We have the notion of leadership, right? We have people that lead from the front. We have the notion of... um, Domination, which is sort of like a top-down authoritative sort of rule. But there is a correct rule. There is the straight rule. And when it says that Christ will rule, it's not like he's dominating from an authoritative place. I mean, he is. He has dominion from an authoritative place. But it's not the type of authority or it's not a tyranny. It's not something that we fear. It's the type of authority that we love, like a loving father. Or, or the shepherd who loves his sheep is really the, the metaphor that uh, we can draw out of scripture. But it is still a rod, and he's ruling in the midst of his enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of the holiness, from the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. Thy people, that's us, 
shall be willing in the day of thy power? That's a good question. When is the day of his power? Is the day of his power now? It does feel in some sense that the day of his power is now. Is it, does he not have power in our hearts? Does he not have power in our minds? Does he not rule us? When we wake up in the morning, we thank him for the day. And when we go to bed at night, we thank him for the life that we've been gifted, that we've been blessed with. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Actually, let's just return to that last verse. From the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. From the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. I mean, we could pick that apart and try to dissect it. We could try to analyze it. What does it mean? What is the dew of his youth? But I think there's something just like deeply engaging and beautiful in this picture, the womb of the morning, the dew of thy youth. It's like the refreshing. Not everything's meant to be like dissected and academically picked apart, right? Some things are meant to be like this beautiful, heartwarming, um, like aesthetic connection to God. And somehow it's, it's tempting to just want to just pick it apart. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Christ was initiated, ordained as a priest forever. He is a priest forever. He rules in the priestly capacity forever. After the order of Melchizedek, Melchizedek is the um, ancient priest from the Genesis which is, uh, he's very mysterious and people like to uh, speculate a lot about him, but I won't do that here. Uh, the important thing is that he was a good priest in the ancient, ancient, ancient days and um, Christ is in that order, meaning he's, he's, um, he's in that template or that schema of a good priest from the ancient, ancient, ancient times. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. The Lord at thy right hand, that's Christ, shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. Now, there's one way of reading this that says that he strikes through kings, meaning the kings are being struck through. And there's another way of reading this that says the kings are the, like, ob- the instrument of the striking. <clears throat> in either case, the pertinent fact here is that there will be a day of wrath. There will be a day of judgment. Christ is the judge, the ultimate judge, and he will uh, judge those who persecute us, those who oppress uh, his people. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. As I like to say, Christ is metal. This is like hardcore, right? There's something... I mean, maybe not everyone's encouraged by this, but I'm encouraged knowing that the Lord is powerful and that he has perfect judgment and he will strike through oppressive leaders and wicked rulers and the people that we hear about persecuting people. I love that. I love to know that my my king is coming with a sword of judgment. That's encouraging to me. I hope that it's encouraging to you. And I hope that it's encouraging you to know that it's not just an idea that's out in space or time. It's not something like so abstract. It is 
filling the places with the dead bodies, and he shall wound the heads of over many countries. If there's a world leader that you think is an evil, wicked person that you just absolutely think is in opposition to God, God wins over his enemies. He shall drink of the brook in the way, therefore shall he lift up the head. So after the war, after the conquest of his enemies, after making all of them footstools by the power and grace and mercy of God, he drinks of the brook. He rests in the way. It's it's fitting that this is seven verses, and the seventh verse, he is resting, drinking from the brook, and therefore, in this way, he shall lift up the head. What does it mean by lift up the head? This is a... The only... There's so many ways of interpreting this, but one way of thinking about it is when you, um, you know that uh, in, in Genesis, Eve will bear the child, and the child, uh, you know, will have his uh, heel bruised, but he will crush the serpent's head, and then later they lift up the serpent in the wilderness as a sort of um, mysterious. Uh, it's like behold your enemy. Like, behold your enemy and fear not your enemy, right? And so I think that it's, it's, it's referring to this, that he shall lift up the head, he shall lift up his own head, above, he shall be lifted up above us, above the world, but it's also that he shall lift up um, the heads of his enemies so that you can see and not fear, right? There's something deep and ancient here, something just primal that... God's baked, he's baked it into our hearts as his children to seek for the victory, the, the earthly victory. It's that he will do these things in life. And I, I read Psalm 10 when I'm discouraged by whatever is out in the world. And it helps to remind me that what's going on out in the world is just a moment and that he's in eternity and that he's working all things to the good of those who love him. And that's us. And that's right now. And all things are the things, all the things in this world. So praise God. Praise God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, I I pray that this word is encouraging to people who are um, surrounded by seemingly dark and wicked times, Lord. And I just pray that that they would be encouraged, Lord, and that you would uh, be in our midst here today, Lord. And that you would expose to us the wickedness in high places, Lord, but also that you would be with our leaders, Lord, that they would make wise decisions um, that work for your glory, Lord, and for our good, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray these things. Amen. Appreciate what Brother Danny's brought forth, and I desire an interest in your prayers the time that we stand before you. Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Verse 1, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's a very short psalm, but it's a beautiful psalm that. Uh, gives us uh, some encouragement right here that if we 
as a people dwell together in unity, there's a great blessing in doing that. So let's look at what it says right here. And we'll look at some examples of not dwelling together in unity. This is talking about how we get along with one another. It's talking about how that we come together and worship as a church family. It could also be related. We could even take it a step further to natural families. Uh, You see large families sometimes and uh, what a blessing it is when folks within a large family all get along and uh, are in good harmony when they come together. And so this is a psalm of encouragement for us. Also, there's some warnings for us if we choose not to dwell together that way. There's not a whole lot of examples or encouragements to unity out in the world. Doesn't matter what television station you would tune into. uh, They're not very uh, unifying, if you will. But there's some things in God's word that bring about unity. And for brothers and sisters in Christ, the common denominator is Jesus Christ. We all have that in common, that Jesus Christ is our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our hope. He's our deliverer. And so we all have Christ as that common denominator. So with that common denominator, we have a really good starting place for dwelling together in unity. Then he gives us two examples right here. And this is, if we could sort of capture it, this is a beautiful picture right here of dwelling together in unity. He says... Dwelling together in unity is like, he says, it's something that's really, really special. It's something that's really, really precious. He said it's like the precious ointment upon the head. If you go back into Exodus chapter 30, it describes this precious ointment right here. In Acts chapter 30... God instructed Moses to make this precious ointment for to be used in the anointing. And he said, take thou also these principal spices of pure myrrh of 500 shekels and of sweet cinnamon of of, uh, of 50 shekels of sweet calamus uh, of cassia. uh, And then he says, and of olive oil. And he says, and make an ointment. He says, and thou shalt make an ointment. And he says, it's a holy ointment. An ointment compound after the art of apothecary. And it shall be, and this is how he describes this ointment or this oil, as a holy anointing oil. So it's something that that God wanted to be really, really special and used for a special purpose and a special use. And so he's comparing, he's he's comparing the unity of brethren and sisters dwelling together. And here's the first comparison. 
It is like the precious ointment, this holy anointing, precious ointment that ran upon the head and ran down even upon the beard, Aaron's beard, as Aaron was being anointed to high priest. They pour this anointing oil over the head of Aaron and this precious oil runs down, it says, uh, upon his beard. And then it goes down even to the skirts of the garment. So it even runs or or drips or runs off the beard onto the uh, garment. And this is the picture. This is the picture of God blessing a people of God blessing a situation. And he says, your unity is just as beautiful as God blessing the anointment of Aaron to being high priest and the oil being poured down upon him. And then he gives a second comparison right here. He says, it's also as the dews of Hermon. Now, Hermon was a large mountain. And it says, and the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. And those that have gone there, and they say that it's that way even to this day, that there is a, a, a beautiful dew that comes down upon the ground and you can the mountain top is above it. And it's it's so wet that people say that 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 folks that have camped there, that their tents the next morning are so wet. It's almost as if it's been in a rain through the night. And interestingly, a dew doesn't really take place when there's a storm at hand or when there's strong winds. But a do is something that's there when things are calm and when things are pleasant and when things are peaceful. The opposite of unity is when we get in the flesh ourselves. Uh, dissension, discord does not come from God. That comes from our own selfish thoughts and our own intents on the inside. So when there's unity, it's something that's really, really special that actually comes from above. It actually comes from God. And so I believe this is specifically directed because it mentions Zion. I believe it's specifically mentioned for the church. And we'll see where effort has to take place for this to come. God has to bless it. But it doesn't just happen. It takes effort on our part. It takes blessing on God's part. And it comes from above. And so he compares this wonderful unity to the oil of the anointing of Aaron, where it was poured upon his head, ran down upon his beard. And he compares it to the beautiful dew that's around this tall mountain and how that it's a beautiful site. It's a beautiful place to be. It's a beautiful setting. Now, Here's some warnings against not being in unity. These verses came to me when I first started pastoring Mount Carmel. And I uh, felt that God put it on my heart to, to encourage folks that we should be in one accord and one mind. And here's some verses that warn us against it. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates. Have you ever done anything that the Lord hates? 
see if there's any of these. It's actually seven things right here. He says there's six things the Lord hates. Yea, even seven are an abomination unto him. Now, abomination, I think, is taking it to the next level. God hates something, but it's abominable if it's uh, up to that level. That's a little bit more. And the way I interpret this, and, and you all can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the way I interpret it is that these first six things God hates. But the seventh thing that he mentions right here is an abomination before him. And I, I believe that's what this means right here. I'll just read through the six, but the seventh one's the one we want to get. God just simply hates a proud look. God hates a lying tongue. God simply hates hands that shed innocent blood. God hates a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations and feet that be swift to running to mischief. God hates a false witness that speaketh lies. But the seventh one right here that it says is an abomination to God is he that soweth discord among the brethren. That ought to just simply be a really good warning for us that we don't want to ever fall into that category of being an individual that sows discord among the brethren. It ought to remind us that we want to put forth a great degree of effort to not do that. To make sure that we don't do that. So this is the opposite of dwelling together in unity. Look at just a a couple of more right here. Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Two more uh, examples right here. Romans chapter 16 verse 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren. Now I beseech you, brethren. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. It it just simply means that if there's somebody that is sowing seeds of discord, if there's somebody that's stirring up strife, if that's the case, he just simply says avoid them. He doesn't say you take them on. He doesn't say you try to win the argument with them. But he says, you avoid them and you turn it over to the Lord and let the Lord work it out. Generally speaking, when we try to take it into our own hands, I don't know about you, but generally speaking, I usually make the situation worse. But he says right here, if there's somebody that's trying to cause discord or dissension among you, he says, you mark them and you avoid them. Doesn't say you be mean to them, you be rude to them. You just put a little bit of distance and you let the Lord take care of that. The Lord is the one that is plenty able to resolve and reconcile situations. And within a church and within a church, it operates different than it does out in the world. You may be having a a meeting with your workers and there may be some things that need to go to the next level. But in a church family, you work together and you put forth a lot of effort to try as best you can to dwell together in unity. Now, it can be difficult because we're all different. We all see things completely different in many ways. We, we focus on Christ and that's our common denominator. 
But I expect if I go into your house, your thermostat's set on a different temperature than what mine is. Mine is always 100% of the time, 74 in the daytime, and 72 at night, year-round. I can go into other folks' homes, and it drops down to the 60s at night, or the 80s in the daytime. And that's certainly fine for them, but that's not what's suited for me. Uh, We're all different. You probably go to bed at a different time than I do. I'm like what my grandmother said. I go to bed with the chickens. When the chickens get in, I'm just about ready to turn in. And and I get up with the chickens as well. I want to get up before the sun comes up because I'm afraid that I'm going to miss something. And by the way, I took a picture and I showed it to Grace and Jared. I saw the most beautiful sunrise this morning. It was absolutely beautiful. But you have to get up with the chickens in order to see that happen. But you all probably do it a little bit different. And that's just fine that you do. It is. But when we come to the house of the Lord, sometimes we have to put our personal preferences aside to come together and focus on Christ as the common denominator and realize that it's okay if other people do things a little bit different than what we do. That our main focus is Christ. The second one right here that I'll mention, the third one about a warning against not being together in unity is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be... This is, to me, this is, this is strong admonition for us. I, I, I hope that when I'm gone, that this theme that I believe is taught in the Scripture will continue on with Mount Carmel for years down the road. I hope that it will be here for years after I'm gone. Look what he says right here. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you. How many does it take to have divisions among us? One. He's encouraging us. We should pray that we're not that individual, that we put forth effort not to divide. He says, I pray that there be no, that ye all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Another place, he says that there be no schisms among us as well. So how is it that we can live together in unity? If it's something that's so important, if it's something that that's important to God, how is it that we can live together in unity? This can apply for churches and it can apply for families. It's great admonition for us right here. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. It starts out... And he says, uh, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever there shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom. And whosoever shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. And then he says a really super strong admonition for us right here. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, Which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were drowned into the depth of the sea. I believe this right here simply means we make a conscious effort not to offend 
and he refers to it as little ones, I think it can certainly mean the little children. I believe it certainly applies for that. But I also believe it can be folks that are new in the faith. It can be visitors that come our way. It can be people that, that maybe are not as well established in the word. And he says, if you offend one of these little ones, he says, you would be better off to be cast into the sea and have a millstone. I don't know if you've seen a millstone, but they're heavy. I mean, it'd probably take uh, two or three of, um, of Sister Tracy's sons to be able to lift a millstone. And he says right here that you'd be better off to have a millstone hanged about your neck and be cast into the sea than it would be to offend one of the little ones, one of the Lord's little ones. And I believe that that means the little children, And I believe it also means those that are new in the faith, those that are young in the faith, those that are not necessarily grounded. And he says, you better be careful that you don't offend one of them, because he says the judgment is you'd be better off if a millstone were hanged about your neck. That's pretty, pretty, pretty serious right there. Um, So the first one is we make a conscious effort. Um. The second one is in um, chapter um, 18, it says, um, Peter says to the Lord, he says, how oft if my brother sins against me, shall I forgive him? How many times? And I expect that Peter probably thought he was being very liberal in his approach, because not only did Peter ask the question right here, but then Peter sort of kind of gives the answer a little bit from his own perspective. And so Peter says, if I've been offended, if I've been personally offended, how many times am I required to forgive somebody if, if, if somebody's offended me? And Peter says, if, if, if I if I am offended, should I give for, should I forgive them seven times? And, and I'm sure he probably thought he had a buffer in there. He probably was thinking two or three. And so seven was probably pretty liberal right there. But Jesus Christ comes back and Jesus Christ says to him, he says, until not not just seven times, but until seven times 70 until 70 times seven. He says, you're required to forgive 490 times. That's what you're required to do. Forgive 490 times. So the second thing is we should have a forgiving heart. We should have a forgiving heart. The third one that he mentions right here is this. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go to him with his go and tell him his fault Between thee and him alone. So the third one right here, the third example that he tells us right here is that if we've been offended, if I've been offended, I go to you or you come to me directly and we address it. And generally speaking, that's the end of it right there. He doesn't say that we go to everybody else first. He doesn't say that we uh, spread it around. 
But he says, we go to that individual. I knew a pastor that pastored a church 25 years. And he said, in that 25 years, he said, our church stayed in harmony. And he said, the reason I believe that it stayed in harmony is he said, I preached on this lesson every six months. He said, every six months, I would remind the folks that if there's an issue, you go to that brother, that sister, and you address that issue. And then you put it aside and you move on and you forget about it. Now, this is what he says. He says, if there's a fault, if you have a fault against one, you go and tell that brother alone. And he says, and if the brother hears you. Now, let me just say something right here. This does not give you carte blanche to just go and have all of your feelings on your shoulder and and you're offended by every single thing that comes along. It is super important that if you go to a brother or sister that you make sure that it's something that's in line with God's word, not just a preference that you have. But this is super, super important that you go in the right spirit. Now, I'll tell you, I'm just going to give you a tip on the side in order to go in the right spirit. If you've been offended or you've offended someone, here's how you get in the right spirit. You go over and you apply what's taught in the Sermon on the Mount about praying and fasting. Not just praying, but praying and fasting. And if you dedicate some time to praying and fasting, God is, it's amazing how God works on both ends at the same time. He can work on you and he can work on the other individual at the same time. And sometimes God changes us. And so before you go to an individual to make sure you're in the right frame of mind, sometimes it's good to enter into a time of prayer and fasting and ask the Lord to show you your own sins before you go to someone else and begin to highlight theirs. Remember, an old preacher told me one time, he says, you remember that every time you point your finger, you've got at least three or four pointing at yourself. So sometimes there needs to be a little bit of self-reflection Before we're real anxious and aggressive to go to somebody else and look at our own self and our own sins. But then he says, if you go to the brother and he says, and you tell him the fault and he says, the brother is receptive. You've won the brother and it's a happy time and you're together just like this. This is great for families. It's especially great for churches. What a blessing. But he says, if the brother does not hear. Then he said, he says, you've gained a brother. If he hears, if he'll not hear you, then you take one or two more. And in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, then you tell it to the church. And if he neglect to hear the church, then let him be as a heathen man and a publican. Uh, generally speaking, if you pursue step one in the right frame of mind, Generally speaking, that's the end of it right there. It doesn't need to go any further than that. If there's an offense that you've had, if you go to that brother in the right spirit, that sister in the right spirit, God will bless you in doing that. Just a couple of more admonitions in uh, uh, Ephesians. It ends up on a really good note in Ephesians right here. Here's just a, a couple more. Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation of which you're called with all lowliness and meekness and long suffering. And then he says, 
forbearing one another in love and endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one spirit, and ye are called one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Two things right here. He says you're endeavoring. That, that means you're putting forth a degree of effort. That means you're, you're putting some energy in to keeping the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You're endeavoring to do that because we are one body, one spirit, one Lord. And he says we do that with all lowliness and meekness and long suffering. So what he's saying right here is that we have to be in the right frame of mind ourselves. The problem could be us. It could be us, not the other person. And so it's important that we're in the right frame of mind with all lowliness and meekness and long suffering. And then he says, and forbearing, that means long suffering, forbearing one another in love. If we're looking through a microscope, we're going to find plenty of things wrong with our brothers and sisters. Aren't you glad they're not looking through a microscope with us? Sonny Powell's elder Sonny Powell said that no man can stand under a microscope. If that's what we're looking through, and if they're looking at us through those lens, they're going to be greatly disappointed. Um, Another one that we can do, he says in verse 26, he says, uh, verse 27, he says, neither give place to the devil. If we allow Satan to work on our vain imaginations, that's giving place to the devil. And he says right here that we do not give place to the devil. And he also says right in the same chapter, he says, don't give place to the devil. And he says, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. God is, is, is giving us his, his direction through his word. He's giving it Hopefully through the preached word, he's blessing us through his singing. He should be giving it to us through the meditation. And he's saying right here, he said, don't don't give place to the devil and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And then he tells us how we how to achieve not doing that. He says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. He says, let all not some. But he says, let all bitterness. Anybody here ever struggle with bitterness? I'm so glad that nobody does. I have to tell you that that uh, that I have at different times in my life. I've struggled with bitterness. And I'll tell you, uh, 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 one of the wisest ministers that I know, Elder Bradley, I counseled with Elder Bradley about it. And I said, I've got some things that I'm bitter about. And he gave me some real good counsel right here. He said, you can't be bitter against somebody and pray for them at the same time. He said, if you're praying for them, that'll take care of the bitterness. He said, you pray for them. He says, let all bitterness, let all wrath, let all anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from among you with all malice. He says, put those things away. 
And then Elder Compton's favorite verse kicks in right here. And he says, and be ye kind one to another, be ye tenderhearted and forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. He says, be kind to one another. He says, be tenderhearted, be forgiving. He says, and the reason and the basis for all of this is not because we're so strong, we're so good, we're so able, but the basis for all of it is that Christ forgave us. It's only because of Jesus Christ that we can be forbearing, that we can be forgiving, that we can be long-suffering. If we think about what Christ has done for us in our own individual cases, then it makes it a whole lot easier to be forbearing and forgiving and long-suffering with those around us. He says, be ye kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Colossians chapter 3 tells us that the basis for our forgiving other folks is the same basis that Paul says right here. It's the basis that Christ has forgiven us. That's the basis for it. Just wrap up with a couple of verses. Uh, Acts chapter 2 tells the end result. Acts chapter 2. And they continued talking about the early days of the church when God was blessing it in a mighty way. He was pouring out the Holy Spirit upon the church. The church was growing. It was prospering. It was it was a, a lively group. He says this group, they continued in one accord. That means they were in unity. They were in harmony. They continued in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. And did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And here's the result right here. They ended up praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. A couple of more verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 11 says, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. Lastly, 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous. Not rendering, verse 9, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing knowing that ye are thereunto called and that you should inherit a blessing. He's saying, if you do these things, you're going to be blessed. And then back to our, our text in, uh, in Psalm. Psalm 133. Behold... How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. There's great admonition and warnings against not dwelling together in unity. There's great encouragement and it even tells us that it follows up with a blessing if we do dwell together in unity. 
It doesn't mean we all have to see everything exactly alike. But it does mean that we have the common denominator of Jesus Christ. And for the sake of Jesus Christ, it's worth putting forth the effort of dwelling together in unity. God is jealous for his church. God doesn't take it lightly if discord's being sown in the church. I'm going to give you, I, I won't give you both, but I'll give you one example that I knew firsthand. I, I, I heard about the second one. I knew about the first one. I, there's three examples that I've known of, but there's one that I'll tell you. Many of you here knew Elder, Elder Compton, didn't you? I mean, there's a, a good number of you that knew Elder Compton. He was probably one of the most peace-loving men that I've ever met in my life. And he lived in Washington, D.C. And there was someone that Elder Compton told me this story himself firsthand. There was someone that uh, began to stir up some strife and sow some discord and called him and made this statement to him. Brother Harvey knew Elder Compton well. He's the most peaceful man that you know of. And this individual ended up the conversation on the phone with Elder Compton. And he told him, he says, you stay on your side of the Potomac and I'll stay on mine. I mean, that's how it ended up. I want to tell you, within a week, that individual had a massive heart attack and died just like that. I knew another individual that was critiquing the ministry in the Philippines. And I knew a little bit about the work that was going over on over in the Philippines and God was using some men. Not that everything was perfect, but God was using the men to do a mighty work at the time. And I personally heard this individual railing against that work. And I thought, you know what, if God's in the matter and the hand of the Lord is on them, I'd be afraid to say something like that. And within just a few short weeks, that individual was stricken with a stroke. And what was affected was the speech. That individual could never speak a clear conversation, a clear sentence again. I'm not saying that every ailment that comes along is the result of a judgment of God. But what I am saying is that God is jealous for his church and his people, and he doesn't take it lightly. And I take it as a super strong warning that we should put forth our effort to the very best of our ability to worship together, to fellowship together in unity of spirit. And God will ultimately bless that. It has to come from God. But if we put forth the effort and we desire it, God will bless it to happen. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. God bless.